Thank you, Jeff. It was as good this time as it was the first time this morning. <laughs> our scripture lesson, our sermon text scripture today, uh, comes from 2 Timothy, uh, verses 1 to, or excuse me, 1 Timothy, 2nd chapter, verses 1 through 8. Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and the giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and without doubting. I'm going to give you a little information concerning the sermon today. This is, this is different. I've never done this, so uh, I, hope you, I hope it stimulates you and I hope it challenges you in your thought processes concerning prayer. I am using a sermon that is not mine originally. I am using it. It is most of you or many of you have probably heard of Oswald Chambers. He's probably best known for uh, my utmost for his highest, which is a group of, of um, study guides, daily worship, prayer thoughts. And uh, Oswald Chambers was born in 1874 and died in 1917. He was of Irish descent. Um, he was a man of, great man of prayer, a great man of faith, and had several jobs in, uh, as far as being a principal at a, at a uh, Christian group. And uh, in 1915, actually a hundred years ago next month, in October of 1915, he was sent to Cairo, Egypt as a YMCA chaplain to the British troops there. He hadn't been there a day or two, and he told them, uh, we're going to have a service Wednesday night. And he was laughed at, and he was told, these soldiers aren't going to come in on Wednesday night. They go to church on Sunday. They have other things to do. They have letters to write. They have things to drink. They have cards to play. They have a lot going on in their lives, primarily staying alive. And he said, the service goes. And that Wednesday evening, he had 400 soldiers packed into a little hut to hear what, what I'm going to read to you as, as the sermon of what's the good of prayer. I had a whole other sermon for this Sunday until last Saturday. I have been reading this book, and I, it struck such a chord with me that I said, I'm, I'm going to use this. I, I, I have to use this. I think, I think people need to hear this because uh, many have said one of the hardest things for Christians is to change what they believe by the truth of the word. And... Uh, I think that you will find this extremely spiritual, extremely scriptural, and I think it is an anointed message uh, that God would have us 
deal with in our lives. It's not a long sermon. Those Irishmen could talk for hours. This one's about nine minutes, so you can hang with me, and I'll get through this with you, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about it. Only when we are in great difficulty and cannot understand things do we really pray. Prayer is not part of the natural life, and by natural, I mean the ordinary, sensible, healthy, worldly-minded life. Some say that we will suffer in this life if we do not pray. I question that. Prayer is an, is an interruption of personal ambition, and no person who is busy has time to pray. If we do not pray, what will suffer in, in this life is the life of God in us, which is nourished not by food, but by prayer. Prayer is not a means of self-development. We do not find that idea in the Bible at all. And prayer is other than meditation. Prayer develops the life of God in us. When we are born from above, the life of the Son of God begins in us, and we can either starve that life or we can nourish that life. Prayer nourishes the life of God. Our Lord nourished the life of God in Him by prayer. He was continually in contact with his father. We generally look upon prayer as a means of getting things we want for ourselves. But the, Bible, the biblical idea of prayer is that God's holiness, purpose, and wise order may be brought about. Our ordinary views of prayer are not found in the New Testament. When we are in real distress, we pray without reasoning. We do not think things out, we simply blurt them out. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distress. That's Psalm 107, 13. When we get into a tight place, our logic goes to the winds, and we respond instinctively. Your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him, Matthew 6, 8 says. Then why ask? Very evidently, our ideas about prayer and Jesus Christ are not the same. Prayer to him is not a way to get things from God, but so that we may get to know God. Prayer is not to be used as the privilege of a spoiled child seeking ideal conditions to indulge his spiritual propensities. The purpose of prayer is to reveal the presence of God, equally present at all times and in every condition. Someone may say, well, if the Almighty has decreed things, why need I pray? If he has made up his mind, what is the use of my thinking that I can alter his mind by prayer? We, we must remember that there is a difference between God's order and God's permissive will. His, per, his permissive will applies to what he permits, but God's order reveals his character. For instance, it is God's order that there should be no sin, no suffering, no sickness, no limitations, and no death. His permissive will allows all of them. God has so arranged matters 
that we were born into his permissive will. And we have to get to his order by an effort of our own, and that is by prayer. To be children of God according to the New Testament does not mean that we are creatures of God only, but that we grow into a likeness to God by our own moral characters. I question whether the people who continually ask for prayer meetings know the first element of prayer. Jesus says we are to pray in his name, that is, in his nature, and in his nature is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit when we are born again from above. Luke 11:13 and Romans 5:5. 5, 5. Again, Jesus did not promise to be at every prayer meeting, but only those where two or three are gathered together in my name, meaning in his nature. Matthew 18:20. Jesus Christ does not pay any attention to the gift of religious gab. His words, when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words, Matthew 6, 7. Refer not to the, more, the mere repetition and form of the words, but to the fact that it is never our earnestness that brings us into touch with God. Rather, it is our Lord Jesus Christ's vitalizing death that brings us into touch with God. Hebrews 10:19. In his teaching about prayer, our Lord never once referred to unanswered prayer. He said God always answers prayer if our prayers are in the in the name of Jesus or in accord with his nature. The answers will not be in accord with our nature, but with his. We are apt to forget this And we may say without thinking that God does not always answer prayer. He does, every time. And when we are in close communion with him, we realize that we have not been misled. Ask, and it will be given to you. Luke 11.9 We grasp before God and are apologetic and apathetic, but we ask very few things. Yet what a splendid audacity a child has. And our Lord says, unless you come as, a little, as little children, in Matthew 18.3, give Jesus Christ a chance. Martha did when she said, whatever you, Jesus, ask of God, God will give you, John 11.22. Give him elbow room, but no one ever does it until he is at his wit's end. During a war, many pray for the first time. It is not cowardly to pray when we are at our wit's end. It is the only way to get in touch with reality. As long as we are self-sufficient and complacent, we don't need God for anything. We don't want him. It is only when we know we are powerless that we are prepared to listen to Jesus Christ and what he has to say to us. Then again, our Lord says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, John 15, 7. Or rather, you shall ask what your will is in. There is very little our wills are in. Consequently, it is easy to work up false emotions. We intercede in mechanical ways. Our minds are not in it. 
Jesus said to two of his disciples, you did not know what you asked in Mark 10.38. Be honest before God. Present your problems. Things you have come to your wit's end about. Ask Ask what you will, and Jesus Christ says, your prayers will be answered. We can always tell whether our will is in what we ask by the way we live when we are not praying. The New Testament view of a Christian is of a person in whom the Son of God has been revealed. The prayer and prayer deals with that nourishment of that life. It is nourished by refusing to worry over anything. For worry means there is something over which we cannot have our own way. And in reality, that is a personal irritation with God. Jesus says, don't worry about your life. Don't fear them which kill the body. Be afraid only of not doing what the Spirit of God indicates to you. In everything give thanks, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Never let anything push you to your wit's end because you will get worried and worry makes you self-interested and disturbs the nourishment of the life of God in you. Give thanks to God that he is there no matter what is happening. Many a man has found God in the belly of hell, in the trenches during the days of war. They came to their wit's end and they discovered God. The secret of Christian quietness is not indifference, but the knowledge that God is my Father. He loves me, and I shall never think of anything that he will forget. With the knowledge, with this knowledge, worry becomes an impossibility. It is not so true that prayer changes things as that prayer changes us, and then we change things. Consequently, we must not ask God to do what he has created us to do. Jesus Christ is not a social reformer. He came to, the, to alter us, and if there is any social reform to be done on earth, we must do it. God has so constituted things that prayer on the basis of redemption alters the way we look at things. Prayer is not altering things externally, but working wonders within our own dispositions. When we pray, things remain the same, but we begin to be different. The same thing occurs when we fall in love. The circumstances and conditions are the same, but we now have a sovereign preference in our heart for another person that transfigures everything. If we have been, if we have been born from above and Christ is formed in us, instantly we begin to see things differently. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Oswald wrote a poem that he puts in right here in his sermon. It says, Heaven above is a brighter blue. Earth around is a sweeter green. Something lives in every hue. Christless eyes have never seen. Birds with gladder songs overflow. Flowers and deeper beauties shine. Since I know, as now I know, I am his and he is mine. The good of praying is that it gets us to know God and enables God to perform his order through us, 
no matter what his permissive will may be. We are never what we are in spite of our circumstances, but because of them. As Reader Harris once said, circumstances are like feather beds, very comfortable to be on top of, but immensely smothering if they get on top of you. Jesus Christ, by the Spirit of God, always keeps us on top of our circumstances. Amen. So to briefly summarize some of these points, what's the good of prayer? We need it because. If you're writing these down, you can find that answer in Luke 1. We need it because human wits have an end. We need it because human wills have an end. We need it because human wisdom has an end. Therefore, prayer alters me. We must do it. We must pray if we would know God, if we would help others, if we would do God's will, because prayer alters others. We can do it, James 5.16, by asking, John 15.7, by seeking, John 15.7, by knocking, Matthew 7.7. Prayer alters circumstances through me. I would just say that I would hope that as you start to think about this, that really what we're being called to is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Christianity, a religion, real Christianity, relationship with the Lord. And he has enabled us to do that because of the cross. He has allowed us through redemption to be saved by grace through faith so that no, other, no one else can boast. And if we can have the faith to get to know God, his grace is more than sufficient. And we will be able to have the mind of Christ, which is put in us at the born-again experience. The old spirit, which was dead from Adam, is gone. And the Spirit of Christ is placed in us. And we are challenged in Scripture to develop your mind to the mind of Christ. Because his Spirit has been sealed in you through the Holy Spirit and is flawless and redeemed. We sometimes look in the mirror and we say, mm, not so much. I sin. does not say the soul, the mind, the will, the emotion, and the flesh can't sin. But you do not have to sin because of the perfection of Christ in you. And I would leave you with this. God is spirit. That is a scripture line. And when he looks upon you as a believer, he looks at your spirit and he sees the perfection of his son in you. So we might be an old sinner that was saved by grace, but we are no longer a sinner unless we will to. I'll close with that. I hope, I hope this, uh, this speaks to your heart. And uh, our hymn of commitment is, It is well with my soul. Number 561.